So it's so cool to see, they're not even in the room, but we can talk about them if they're not here. It's so cool to see God use young people in our church. And so, so thankful to have Ellie sing with us today and Presley's been involved the last few weeks and Sierra has been serving today and, and now Sierra is going to serve in kids' church downstairs. It's so awesome to see God use young people. And it's so good to see him use us old people. Notice how I said us. Because I'm one of you. Mine is Shelby, of course. She's still young. Only because she's younger than me and I'm not the youngest adult anymore and it feels good. So come back, Shelby. Thankful that you're home for the holidays. But come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let's pray as we get into the word today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every man, woman, and child in this room. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, the sending of Jesus, Lord, to this earth as a baby signifies his humanity, that he was God who became fully man. Thank you that he came to give his life for us. As we, Lord, Lord, as we look into your word today, as we gather together this information, I, I pray that it would come alive to us, that it would make sense to us, that you would, Lord, use me, Lord, to deliver this message. Oh, Lord, that it would touch our hearts, that it would touch our minds, that we would know a little bit more about you and about why we do the things that we do and the way that we do them. I thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness in our church. Thank you for your faithfulness in our community. I give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it really is good to have you with us. It really is good to be with you this morning. And I'm so thankful that we, we had this time together this Christmas season. I had a blast once again at Wilkes, at Wilkes Terrace on, on December 23rd. And I have to say, I was, I was feeling the stress of it a little bit more this year than I think I did last year. And I still haven't figured out why. Maybe I was just trying to think of, it's got to be better, it's got to be bigger, and all these things. Maybe there was that pressure. But I felt the stress of it and the weight of it a little bit more this year than I did last year. And uh, I don't know what you do when you feel stress or you feel those things, but uh, it's always important to pause and to remember why we do the things that we do. And so when I took a moment and I, I, I just took a moment to breathe, I took a moment to pause at about... 5.59, one minute before six o'clock, I realized I had left something at home, the programs, which I had worked hard to make sure they were printed. And I was blaming my wife just because I was actually not blaming her. I was being silly with her, saying she didn't remind me, but she did. She actually did. And anyway, so as I'm sitting in the van before I walk in, I just took a moment and I paused. And I said, pause and remember why you're here tonight. Pause and remember why we're doing the things that we're doing. It took a little bit of moment, took a breath, and, and just, just prayed a simple little prayer. And it was, it was almost in that instant that there was still the some of the pressure, but the weight was not the same. And it's important to remember why we do the things that we do. Why do we worship the way that we worship? Or why should we worship a certain way uh, which we're going to get to in just a minute. And we've talked about four different postures of worship this Christmas season. Does anyone remember number one, the first one was that we talked about? I'm going to preach it again next week then, I guess. So <laughs> I talked about lifting our hands. 
we lift our hands in worship. And does anybody, remember, anybody know why we lift our hands when we worship? You weren't expecting a quiz today. It's Christmas time. I'm on holidays. Corey. Sub- submission and surrender. Surrender. Well, submission. I said I call it surrender, but same idea. We're going to get to submission today, actually. But surrender. And, and, and it's just the openness, right? When, when someone's got a gun to your back, hands up, I surrender. But as well, it opens us up and tells God that we're ready to receive. Tells God that we're ready for him, ready for him to move. The next week, we had Pastor John from Marathon. He created his incredible message about Mary and Joseph even shared their own story of having children. And then the week after that, we jumped into part two of our series, Lifting Our Hands. Does anyone remember part two? Frank, giving, giving our gifts, showing generosity. And then week three was last week. Does anyone remember we talked about last Sunday? A lot has happened since last Sunday, but it's like, it's like there was a big holiday in there or something. Did anyone get anything cool for Christmas? Corey? I can't even. Oh, there you go. I don't follow football all that much, so. I know you do. So that's good. That's right. Super Bowl party at Corey's house. So that's coming up in February. Nope. We're, not gonna, just gonna, we're just going to do it. We're just going to show up. <laughs> anything else? Anyone get anything else cool for Christmas? Or maybe you didn't. Did anyone get something they didn't like or didn't want? <laughs> Those are the perfect re-gift, right? Unless it's from your spouse. But last week, week three, we talked about lifting our hands, giving our gifts, talked about pouring our hearts, worshiping God from our innermost being, from who we are, talked about giving him our, our issues, our problems, giving him our life, giving to him out of our innermost being, pouring out our hearts as an act of worship giving God praise for his faithfulness. And today we're going to get to number four, the last one. There's, there's many different ways that we can worship, but these four are, are, are sort of the, the key ones that we're focusing on. Today we're going to talk about bowing our knees or bending our knees, kneeling before God uh, as an act of surrender in worship. So we're going to start with a portion of scripture. I think we've read it almost every week from Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. This is what it says. It says, Then the wise men... They saw the star. Then the wise men saw the star, saw the star. Saw, can anyone say that really fast? Saw the star, saw the star, saw the star, saw the star, saw the star. They were, they were sad. No, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down. What did they do? They bowed down and they worshiped him. And what's interesting is that most of the time we picture this. We picture the, the, we picture the stable, the donkeys, the cows, and, 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 and the smell, and the, the shepherds, and the sheep, and then this little baby in the manger. And that's our typical, we have it right here at the front, right? We have the, the symbolized picture of, of what it might have been like on that Chris, first Christmas night. But what we, what we know is that the scholars tell us is that by the time the wise men got down there, he was probably like two years old or something like that. Um, now, 
Now, remember, it took them 900 miles, roughly, to get to from where they were to where they were going. So from the time Jesus was born and the star appears in the sky, it takes them that time to gather together, get their gifts, and travel to see this Messiah that has come. And so when they come, they come to bow before not a baby, not some infant, not some holy night, silent night, peaceful little baby sleeping. No, they're coming to bow down to a two-year-old. Now, that kind of changes the dynamics of the story because I don't know about you, but have you ever been around a two-year-old? What are some of the things the two-year-olds do? They pick their nose, they get way up there, crackers up, they put everything up there, they eat everything and anything. Um, has anyone seen Leland lately? Um, he's not two yet and he will be soon in May, and he's kind of, just, just picture that a little bit, in the wildness, or, or Brayden, you know, there's energy, there's excitement, nothing can stop them, when you're two years old, you're invincible, or so you think, like, whatever, um, how many here like being around two-year-olds, I mean, you know, it's even like, so, some two-year-olds are in diapers, and some aren't, I haven't decided which one is better yet, do I want something that's contained or do I want someone that's free? Because where the potty trained two-year-old is, there is freedom for them to go wherever they please, whenever they want. Uh, last Christmas, uh, we were driving back from Thunder Bay and, and uh, Catherine, who was two at the time, um, she told us she had to use the washroom and we said, we're, we're driving, you'll have to wait. And she knew that. That was always sort of the rule. She had just used the washroom before we left. It hadn't been that long. She says, fine. And then she kept telling us and telling us and telling us and telling us. And like it's snowy. Like we had that big snowstorm right after Christmas last year. It's like it's a Christmas thing, right? We get snow after Christmas. And so, the, and so like, you know, we're taking our time. We're driving. So, you know, we're, we're between, I think, um, the next town, Nipigan, thank you. Nipigan in here, we're, we're like halfway. And she's like, I, I really have to go. She, she didn't really say she had to go. She just started complaining the whole time. And it wasn't like unlike Catherine to complain. Sometimes she just complains, right? Just because it's what she does. She's the middle child, the young, youngest daughter. And it's just who she is. She's a little bit more sensitive than the rest of us, which drives me crazy. But anyways, it, she's just kind of losing her mind, which is kind of just normal, typical Catherine, of course, we get home and I have no driveway. Like there's a snowbank and it's a snow drift. There's no driveway. My winter boots are in the house and my wife has hers. And so we realize we start to begin to smell this funny smell in the van. And we realize that, yeah, no, Catherine was whining for a very good reason. She wasn't being typical Catherine. All the Christmas treats had finally caught up with her. And, and, and so here she is, just in her car seat, not very happy, not smelling very good, in front of this massive giant snowbank, snow drift, snow on the deck, these kinds of things, trying to get to the house. And so Elizabeth, being the good mom and wife that she is, she was smart and brought her winter boots with her. So she had the pleasure of taking Catherine to the house. So uh, for all the moms out there, thank you for dealing with the mess of a two-year-old. But two-year-olds are not like the cute little baby we think of. You know, those newborn babies have got to be some of the cutest things that you can ever see. I mean, has anyone ever seen an ugly baby before? Just, just wink, okay? 
Even the ugly ones are cute, sort of, to their mom and dad. But we have this beautiful picture in our mind, right? We have this beautiful Christmas scene set up. We have our wise men. We have the shepherds. We have the the cute little baby Jesus. The animals are behaving. Like if this was my family, it would look more like this. Oh, no. I even practiced that ahead of time. Have a great week, everybody. (laughs) Oh, it's a fallen angel. It's okay. (laughs) Okay, but that's what my house would look. (laughs) You get the point. Before kids... I mean, if, you're, if you don't have kids, what, what, what's your reaction when you see someone with young kids? Or maybe your kids are growing up and you kind of forgot what it's like. And you go to a restaurant and you see, get a hold of your kid. What's wrong with you? We had a family, we had a family live with us once for a summer. Thankfully, it was summer. The kids could play outside. Um, I, so I'm the, I was an only child. My mom was the youngest. My next cousin, he was four years older than I was. His sister was another four years. And so, like, I didn't grow up with kids. Like, it was just my mom and I, right? And so my, my wife, however, she's the youngest of five, but she's got a bunch of nieces and nephews, so she understands what it's like to be with kids. My, my in-laws, grandma, grandpa, know what it's like to have young kids around. When you go to my family's house, when you go to my mom's house, particularly my grandmother's house, it is not a kid-proof house. Things like that happen and not because of me. All right, but so we had a family live with us, and they had two boys. Uh, one, I think, had just turned three. And like every meal, the mom would have to sweep the floor, and I never understood why can't your kids just keep the food on the table? Like they always make a mess. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you a really bad parent or what? And then I had kids. <laughs> and I learned that I was a bad parent. No, I learned that those kids are messy. Kids are messy. Uh, I gave Leland, I had to change Leland's clothes yesterday because he was soaked from head to toe. I had a five minute shower and he was so, he, he got into the bathroom sink. He found the plug for the sink and he filled the sink with water and he had a ball with, I mean, I came out, there's water everywhere. He's, and he's covered head to toe. The soap is on the living room floor. The basket for the soap is on the, it was just wild. Like five minutes. And this is the kind of person that these wise guys, wise guys decide to come and bow down. Not to this cute little baby, but to a wild two-year-old toddler. Now, of course, we don't know what kind of toddler Jesus really was, right? You know, I used to hear that, you know, Jesus, because he was God, he never cried as a baby. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Trust me, he, he was a man. He was a human. He cried. You know, you've heard the joke, you know, Jesus runs out of the house and his mom says, close the door. Were you born in a barn? Yeah. All of this to say, when the wise men came, they bowed down to this little two-year-old toddler. 
I want to talk about kneeling in the presence of God today. It's not something that, that I think we do often, at least we don't really do publicly. It's not too often we see anyone really kneeling. It's not like we have, you know, every town has its own castle and its own little king, and you should go, you know, you're before the king, you have to kneel. It's not like, you know, if, if, if our mayor, Jody Davis, were to walk in, we wouldn't just, oh, oh, mayor, oh, your excellence, you know, we wouldn't get on our knees for our mayor. We don't do that. It's not really part of our culture anymore. But there's still something incredibly important and incredibly special when we decide to kneel in the presence of God. It's a little bit awkward. Our culture isn't used to it. Same with like lifting our hands. That's actually, I think, even easier, lifting our hands. And a lot of us, I think, did it for the first time or first time in a long time as an act of worship a few weeks ago. It pushes us out of our comfort zone. Pushes us past the, the things that make us uncomfortable because what it does is it says, I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't even care what I think or feel. What I know is that I want to experience the presence of God. You know, guys, we might kneel maybe two times in our lives. The first one's when we get down on one knee to propose. Any, any of our guys do that? I actually was, we were sitting on the edge of a cliff. I didn't actually get, if I got down on a knee, I would have fallen off the cliff. So, the other time is if we're playing goalie, right? You're playing a game of hockey or if you're playing football, right? You see the guys kneeling in football all the time. I don't know if they're praying or just hoping for the best, but the two times that we see people kneel in our culture. Uh, but most of us typically, we don't go around kneeling in front of people. Um, you know, maybe I feel like kneeling in front of my kids and begging them to, to, to just listen, right? And be quiet. And, but that doesn't work anyway, so don't do that. But most of us don't go around kneeling. When you look at God's word, though, we see over and over again opportunities where people kneel down before God in submission and in the awe and wonder and in the goodness of God. So we're going to go to Psalms 95, a verse from the book of Psalms. And this is what it says. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, because he is our God. We are his people. Bow down in worship. Now, there's an interesting Hebrew word in here that translates as worship, and the word is shakah. Can you say shakah? Uh, you can remember that, so you go like, shaka. No one, no one, come on, shaka. All right, that'll help you remember it a little bit. The word translates worship. It's used 170 times in the Bible. And what the word really means to is to bow down, to kneel in worship. It doesn't mean just to worship, but in this word it says posturing is the form of kneeling in worship. Shaka, to kneel in worship, 170 times, we're told to kneel before God in worship. One of the reasons I think we don't like doing it as a culture or culturally more often is because fundamentally, fundamentally, we don't understand, we don't comprehend, we can't even fathom the greatness, the majesty of who God is. It's hard for us to imagine the essence of who he is because he's so majestic. We sang it in our, in our songs this morning. You know, we, we sang how beautiful he was, and I see your face in every sunrise, and I see you in the stars. You know what's incredible? Uh, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and I, I recently was sent a photo 
of uh, Andromeda, a crazy big galaxy of stars. And the Hubble telescope took this incredible picture. And like the picture, you'd have to have, what did it say, like 160, like 75 inch TVs to actually look at the full picture. The resolution is so crazy. Something, something ridiculous like that. And even that picture doesn't, doesn't actually capture every single star that you can see. And this is just one galaxy, just like light years and light years and light years away. And those are just a small little pinch of the size of our universe. We look at the snow that's falling outside, and, and what the science tells us is that every snowflake is unique. No two snowflakes are the same, and it's incredible to think the detail that God goes into creating our universe, like details that God goes into creating a snowflake. And then he look at the creation of men and women, and he looks at the people that he creates, and we read in the book of Genesis that he kneels down. Interesting that he knelt down. He, he plays in some dirt. He puts together the form of a man. He breathes his own breath into that man. And he looks at him and says, that is very good. And then we look at our DNA. No two people have the same DNA with the few exceptions of, of twins. But even twins are different. No two people are the same. We are all uniquely made. Psalm tells us that we are uniquely made in our mother's wombs. He has created something amazing in us. He has created something incredible around us. Take those thoughts and just begin to imagine and expand what those thoughts might bring to your mind. And we still don't understand or fathom the greatness and the being of who our God is. You know, whenever Moses wanted to see the glory of God, God says, you can't handle my full glory, so here's what I'm going to do. You hide your face. You sit here, and I will walk past you because you can't see my face, and then you will see me from behind. And even Moses would have to cover his face to be in the full presence of God. He can only see the back when he walks by. And in the Old Testament, when they built the temple or the tabernacle, they had a place called the Holies of Holies. And only one time a year could one person go into that room, the high priest. And even then, they were unsure if he would survive the ordeal. So they would have to tie a rope to his ankle. And if they heard the thump, they would begin to pull on the rope and they would pull his body out. Now, there's a few other things that we could go in details another time. But the presence of God was so strong and so big and so incredible that even the high priest would have to be careful. He'd have to have the right, the right procedures done, the right sacrifices done. He'd have to have all of these checks in order and everything before he could enter into the presence of God. So holy is God that mortal man cannot look upon him in his purest essence and even live. Suddenly, when we start to comprehend the greatness, the majesty of God, the glory of God, the one who spoke over everything and it was created, suddenly kneeling before him seems kind of like the right thing to do. You know, you maybe just watch it in movies and maybe someone wants something from the king and they're begging the king. What's the first thing you do when you beg? What do they do? They run and they, they fall to their knees because that person has power to do what they want them to do. 
So they beg. I remember the first time I learned the meaning of the word beseech. I beseech you. We're just like begging. We would run around the school. We would run in the classroom saying, I beseech you, O teacher, give us longer recess. And it was this big joke. But this picture of begging, beseech, it's on your knees, begging and begging. Now, we don't have to go on our knees and, and beg before God. That's not how, how God works. It may be our response. Maybe how we feel, but that's, that's not how God, God does not listen to our begging. Or he doesn't say, he doesn't respond to our begging. He responds out of his goodness. He responds out of who he is. But what is incredible, out of the 170 passages that we see people bow before God, we see this commandment to bow in worship before God. Not once in the entire Bible does God actually say to us or tell us that we must bow down before him. He just assumes that we would. Because of his greatness, he just assumes that he would. It's like that anyway, because he doesn't tell us to bow down to him, but what does he tell us in the, in the first commandment, in the, great, in, the, in the Ten Commandments? He says, you shall have no other gods before you, and you should not bow down and worship false gods or idols. But he never once says, bow down before me. He just assumes that we would. Because God literally almost assumes that when we know who he is, that we will want to kneel and worship. You know, worship is a choice that we have to make. It's out of our relationship with God. Sometimes we have to take a posture of worship to train our body, to train our minds, to get into the habit. But worship is a choice that we make. We choose, like Joshua says, when he makes the decision and the declaration, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Worshiping God is a choice that you have to make. I can't make it for you. I can make you kneel. I can make you lift your hands. But if it doesn't come from your innermost being, from your heart, if you don't mean it from your innermost being, it doesn't really matter. And that's what God wants the most. He wants you to choose him. He wants you to choose to worship. Come, let us bow down and worship before our God. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. As a church leader, as a pastor, I want to inspire you to come and worship him. Not just to worship at church on Sunday mornings, but to worship him with your full and your whole life. To lift up your hands, not just every now and then in God to worship, but to lift them up when you feel the presence of God, when you know that it's the appropriate response. I don't want you to kneel for the sake of kneeling. Maybe you have to do it just to push yourself out of the comfort zone. Maybe you just have to try it and physically just make yourself do it. But I want you to do it out of a love that you have for God. I want to inspire you to love God. I don't want to make you love God. You know, I, I grew up, we had, a, we had a Christian school at our church that we went to, and we had certain rules. You know, if you went to the Christian school, there were certain things you could do, certain things you couldn't do, and they forced you to do those things or not do other things. And it was good. There's good boundaries. There's good reasons for it all. But if a student hasn't decided in their heart that they want to serve and love God, they're going to push the boundaries every step of the way, and they're going to not do it. They may do it physically on the outside, but on the inside, it doesn't matter. We don't want to force people to do something they don't want to do because they're not really going to be doing it. We want to inspire people to have an encounter with God. We want to inspire people when they have an encounter to, with God. We want to give them the tools. We want to give you the tools. How do I respond in the presence of God? 
I have come so close to this, this amazing, this incredible being. I want to draw closer, draw closer to him. What can I do? And one of the ways that we can do that is to bow down before him in his presence. You know, what better time than now as we pause sort of in this middle of the seasons, we have the busyness of Christmas coming to an end and then the hype of New Year's. What better time to pause and reflect on the greatness of God, to take a few minutes this week, even take a few minutes today and think about who God is. Think about the fact that God loved the world, that he became one of us. Not born in a palace, but born in a hole in a wall, in a cave to symbolize that he is not too far away, that he is for all people, not just the rich, the entitled, God is for all people. Him being born in the lowest of lows signifies that he came for the hurting and the broken. And if we were to all look into our hearts this morning, we realize we all have a need for him. We want to help you along the way, along this journey. And I want to give you three reasons why we might want to bow down and worship to him today. So number one, we want to kneel in pursuit. We want to kneel in pursuit of who he is. In fact, Mark's gospel in the 10th chapter gives us an interesting story of someone who, who is told to kneel in pursuit. He's got everything that the, anybody would ever want. He's got everything. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And yet he was still missing something. And here's how the story goes in Mark 10. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And what did this guy do? He fell on his knees before Jesus. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's got everything that he wants. He's got everything that he could ever ask for. He's rich, he's wealthy, he's famous, he's popular. You know, he's got like a million followers on Instagram, all of these things. He's got everything that he wants. And yet he says, actually, there's one thing I don't have. And, and Jesus, you seem to be the real deal. So tell me, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, maybe you've heard that story. You've read that story a thousand times before. But maybe you haven't noticed the posture in which he asks the Lord. In pursuit to the answer to the question that he has, he bows down, he falls to his knees in desperation, in pursuit of the truth before God. And maybe you're in that place now in your own life. Maybe you're not sure where you stand with God. Maybe you haven't made that commitment yet. Maybe you believe in him, but you're not too sure what the next step is. Maybe you're just searching. Maybe you're looking. Maybe you followed him for years, but there still feel like there's something missing there and you need to take the next step step. Maybe you even question if there is a God, if there could be a God, if there is a God, where does Jesus fit in? Where do I fit in? All these kinds of things. And when we begin to question these things, we begin to pursue truth. And when we come to the word, when we come to the Lord, he opens our eyes when we begin to pursue him. Now here's the warning when we pursue God. When you pursue, pursue godly truth, you're going to find it. And the answer that you get might not be one that you want. To warn you when you pray something like this, get ready. Because this is what happens. When you draw near to God, God draws near to you. And at some of you at this point, you might say, you know what? That's a pretty serious thing. I'm going to kneel in pursuit just like this young rich ruler did. 
The world couldn't offer this young man anything, anything more. And they couldn't offer him what he was looking for. Nothing was enough. He couldn't stand it anymore. He needed to know the truth. And when this young man heard the truth, if you keep reading in the story, does anybody know what happened next? Jesus says to him, if you really want to follow me, sell everything and follow me. Give up your wealth, give up your fame, give up who you are and follow me. That was the truth. Now, uh, does he say that to everyone else? Sell everything you have, give everything away to the poor. And No, he doesn't. But he knew that the key to this man's heart was his wealth and his possessions. The key to his identity, the key to who he was, was wrapped up in his fame. It was wrapped up into the possessions that he had. God doesn't want just a piece of us. He wants all of us. If you are exploring the truth of what, who, who God is, he's going to ask you to give your life to him. And for someone like this, it's harder than it is for someone else. Because even in the presence of God, even in his recognition of who Jesus is in that moment, he's still unwilling to surrender. And so here's my warning to you as you pursue God, as you pursue, pursue the truth of who he is, get ready for God to respond. We are going to move into this next year, 2020 vision. I'm going to challenge you to pray every day. I'm going to challenge you to pray aloud with other people, specifically for what God wants you to do, to serve him in our church and in our community. And when you ask God those things, he's going to answer you and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some time. It might cost you some money. God might even ask you to do something ridiculously huge and crazy that seems crazy to you and everybody else, but you know it's what God wants you to do. Be prepared for God to answer you when you start to talk to him. You know, just imagine this young man sees, an, sees this young woman that he would like to ask out on a date, and he finally gets the courage, finally gets the courage to ask her, and he walks up to her and just goes, Okay. <laughs> He's not going to get a response. <laughs> when he walks up to her and he actually begins to talk, he's going to know that he can be rejected by her and not by his own incompetence. Um, or accepted. Okay. My wife made the first move, so I really can't relate. And it's just... I have a hard time with that one, so I'll tell you that story another time. But we liked each other, and anyways, the rest is history. Number two, kneel in repentance. This is a good one for this time of year. There are others, we're followers of Jesus. We don't need to kneel in pursuit because we're already on the journey. We're already following and already chasing after what God has for us. But maybe... Maybe we've stumbled, maybe we've fallen, maybe we haven't even realized it, but it's come to our attention and we've made a mistake. And in our pursuit for God and our pursuit for truth and our pursuit for all that God wants for our lives, we realize that we need to pause and we need to kneel in repentance. You know, Christmas is like the magnifier. 
You know, we, we get together with family, with friends, we start to give. Um, you spend enough time with family you haven't seen in a while. You remember the tensions that exist, or you can remember past hurts or pains. And all of these things, Christmas, it magnifies everything, right? Everything, everyone's hyped up. It's just like this level of energy. It's everything. It's just chaos and crazy. And that's why some people just avoid it altogether. But we have an opportunity to kneel in repentance. If you've done something against someone, if you've done something directly against God, against someone you love, we could feel the weight of that sin, especially the Christmas season. Some of you right now might be similar, smiling on the outside, but grieving on the inside. You know, I've, I've had to put the smile on on the outside before and, and not quite feel it on the inside. Maybe right now you've been struggling with something deeply and you think if anyone knew about this, if anyone just had any idea, they would just reject me. It was a powerful example of kneeling in repentance. You know, we see, we see Peter, he's rejected Jesus. He's denied him and he goes out fishing. He goes back to what he used to do. God called him to follow him. He took him away from the boats, away from the nets and said, Peter, you will now follow me. And he says, I will follow you, Jesus. And then he stumbles, he falls, he makes a mistake. And in Luke chapter 5, we see what happens here. He's fishing, and he's not catching a single thing. And Jesus comes up to him, and he says, Okay, Peter, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Yeah, over that way. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. And Peter, he's a lifelong fisherman. His dad was a fisherman. He grew up around boats, the whole big deal. He was better than Frank at fishing, okay? And we see Jesus, the carpenter. Jesus comes, the carpenter, the guy who fixes things, who builds things, and he tries to tell Peter how to fish. And he look at Peter and he rolls his eyes and he says, fine. Takes his net, throws it over the side of the boat, and there's so much fish in the net that the net starts to break and it's a crazy big story and you can read it another time. Suddenly he looks up, and this is what he says in Luke eight, Luke 5, chapter, verse 8. Can't speak. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees. Thanks, Corey. He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. An act of repentance. And here's the most amazing, beautiful thing. Jesus never turns away a sinner. He never turns away someone who's hurting, who's broken. He never turns his back on someone who has just confessed and admitted their need for him. And maybe right now you're surprised that you're even in church. You think the roof is just going to cave in the moment you walk through the door. You know, I hear time and time again, if I walk into the church, I'm just going to, lightning's going to strike the church. And I said, who cares? It's just a building anyway. We have to, we'll, do, we'll have to do a roof anyway. So if the insurance pays for it, even better. Okay. Come into the church and let the lightning come because Jesus wants you the sinner. He never will reject you or forsake you. He never turns anyone away. No matter how far you fall, no matter how far you go, Jesus never fails. To, never fails. He'll never turn his back on you. He turns around at Peter and he says something amazing, the best thing Peter could have ever heard in that moment. He says, Peter, you are no longer going to fish. And you can just imagine, right? The biggest catch of your life, you're like, I'm doing that again tomorrow. 
And he says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Out of his repentance, out of his moment of submission, he looks up at Jesus and says, I am not worthy. And Jesus picks him up off the ground. And he says, Peter, I am going to make you a fisher of men. Gives him a brand new identity, a brand new life, a brand new fresh start. Here's the good news. Scripture teaches us that when we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us. Doesn't just forgive us. He polishes up. He makes us new again, and he sends us out. In the song, O Holy Night, there's a verse that says, fall on your knees. You might collapse and say, God, I've done something wrong. Will you forgive me? And in that moment, you'll experience the grace and love of God. And it might even bring you to your knees or might even keep you at your knees in worship when he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I never, I'll never forget a moment sitting at the end of my bed, kneeling at the end of my bed, pouring out my heart, my heartaches, my, my issues, my sin before God. And it was like a clear voice inside my head says, Gary, I'm your father. I love you and I forgive you. Most incredible moment of my life. Finally, we get to number three. You're going you're gonna to want to do it. You're going to kneel in submission. It's never too late. I don't know if anyone here ever, ever watches UFC, Ultimate Fighting championship. I watched it once, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this as a pastor, but I really liked it. <laughs> it was quite entertaining. I didn't, yeah, it was, it was nuts. Um, what happens, maybe you know the answer to this, if you're in a fight and, and there's just no more strength left, no more energy left, the guy's got you in a hold, what's the one thing that you do? Tap, Tap out. See, Corey knows his stuff. I am not a fighter, okay? Like, I, I wrestle with my kids because I know I can win. <laughs> if Leland can stay the size that he is, we'll be okay. I don't think that's going to happen. He's going to look like Uncle Brian, who's like this to me. And now, my, my brother-in-law, I don't think he's really a fighter, but if we were in a fight, he'd probably take me. I'm not a fighter, but I'd, I'd be inclined to tap out. But then you get someone, they got that look in their eye. And no matter how defeated they are, they're never going to tap out. They would rather die than tap out and submit. Sometimes we need people like you. The church needs people like you. But you do have to know when enough is enough. And some of us, we can be like that with God. We recognize our place. We recognize that we've been humbled but yet we just choose not to tap out and not to submit. And I think that has to be the hardest, most devastating place for a person to be. To recognize their need for God, to understand their place in his presence, and to continually turn their back on him and walk away. It is the most saddest experience, the hardest heartbreaking experience as family, as friends, as a pastor, as a church that we can ever witness. But the reality is, is that there's moments for some of us that there's one area in our life that we just won't tap out. You know, we've given everything else to God, but there's one little part of us that we're just holding on to. And God says, I want you to kneel in repentance and I want you to submit 
because I have a great plan for your life. I want you to experience the fullness, the blessing, the greatness of God in every area of your life. And if you fail to submit this one spot, this tiny little spot, you will never experience the plans that I have for you, the plans to prosper you, the plans to see you succeed. You know, I look at, I look at this family that we're sending off today. You know, they're, they're pursuing what God wants for their lives. They're pursuing, I remember we sat in the office a few weeks ago, months ago now. And I told them, I said, you know, God gives us the ability to make a decision and just trust that he's giving you wisdom. And, you know, the next week they said, okay, we listen to you, Pastor, we're leaving. It's like, shut up, Pastor Gary. But a perfect example of a couple that would say, you know, we want to honor God in every area of our life, no matter how big a decision, no matter how tough it is. We want to honor God. We want to serve him with every part of our life, which means we have to take a step of faith. We have to take a step of boldness. We have to get past our comfort zones, what makes us feel safe and comfortable. We have to put ourselves in a place that allows God to do the things that God needs to do. Luke 22, 29 to 44. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw behind the disciples. He knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And the most important phrase that he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He comes out of the presence of God and he kneels down before his heavenly father and he says, not my will, but yours be done. He knelt down and he prayed. And then he gave his life up for you and for I. It's like the tap, not my will, but yours. Kneeling to pray is what often gives us the strength to stand. There's a good cliche statement for you to remember today. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Some of you, it's time to lift up your hands before God. It's time for you to give a little something more to God than your gifts. For others, it's time for you to pour out your hearts. But for the rest of us, maybe for you, it's time that we take a posture of surrender and submission and kneel before God. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us kneel before our God and worship him, the Lord God, our maker. Here's a little secret for you. You can kneel now, or you can kneel later. Philippians 2, 8 to 11 says, And being found in an appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every other name, that name, uh, the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can choose to bow now, or you can choose to bow down at the end of this age. But one day, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. My prayer is that you choose to surrender now and not later.
My prayer and my hope is that others would experience the presence and the grace and the love of God, and they would bow down now and not later. Because kneeling now is what gives us the strength to stand later. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your greatness. I thank you for your majesty. And even though we don't know or understand who you are, even though we don't know your goodness or your greatness, the full extent of it, your majesty, your glory, O oh God, it's all around us. And Lord, we still can't fathom who you are. I pray that, Lord, we would be overwhelmed by your greatness. We would be overwhelmed by who you are, Lord, and it would cause us to fall to our knees in awe and wonder of who you are. Lord, even though you've never asked us, you've never commanded that we do it, Lord, you don't want to give us another rule to follow. You're not looking for us to be forced into submission. Lord, you've never commanded or told us to do it. But Lord, it should be a natural response of our love for you. I pray that you would overwhelm us with your love and in response to God, that we would be overwhelming in love with you, that we would want all that you have for our lives, that we would want the very best. Lord, that every single part of who we are, of our being that you created, Lord, I pray that in this moment now and in the days to come, that we have a moment where we take time and we just pause and we begin to surrender to you. Lord, and if we have to, we'll take the position of kneeling in submission to you in pursuit of who you are. Would we find you, O oh God? God, in this new year, we recognize, Lord, as 2019 comes to a close, Lord, it's never too late to pursue, to repent, or to submit. Lord, you take us just as we are. It's never too late to surrender to you. Lord, as we start this new year coming, Lord, we, what, a, what, a, what an amazing way to start the new year in submission and to surrender to you. I pray, oh God, that you would begin to tug on our hearts, you'd begin to draw us closer to you, I pray that everyone in this room, every member of our church, every person that calls, Lord, this church home, would, Lord, experience your presence, Lord, in an overwhelming sense that they would be drawn to you. They'd want to worship you. They'd be overwhelmed, oh God, in your presence, and they'd be kneeling before you, Lord. I thank you, oh God, for you are holy. Thank you, God, for you are good. Lord, even as the angels around your throne sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is still to come. Thank you, O God, for your goodness. I thank you, O God, for your grace. Thank you, O God, for your love. And I thank you, O Lord, for your presence and the life that you give us. But may we go and live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. May we live a life of worship towards you, our God and our King. In your name we pray. Amen.